What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Today's May 29th, 2022, and it's Memorial Day weekend. For those of you that don't know, Memorial Day only honors our fallen soldiers. You know, it's kind of sad that everyone takes advantage of holidays like Memorial Day to sell mattresses and furniture. They don't actually know what it's about. But you didn't come here to hear me lecture you about Memorial Day and holidays and fallen soldiers. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here to get them off my chest about once or twice every week or two. I truly think the world would be a better place if we could all just disagree without being disagreeable. If there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. And chances are there's lots of things you'll disagree with me about, and that's okay. You don't have to agree with everyone about everything. And the notion of not being able to exchange ideas because opinions are different will get us nowhere. With all that in mind, sit back, relax, and hand me the keys to the four-wheeler for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. And guys, I'm kind of running out of things to hand me the keys to. Would would it be okay if I just kind of quit that? I don't know. That's the kind of mood I'm in today. I kind of feel like quitting quitting things today. (laughs) I don't know why. Anyway, sit back, relax, and let me run the show for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. hope the audio is okay you know every day i sit down to record these and i for whatever reason i'm too stupid to mark all the audio settings on this little mixer that i have and so every time i sit down and i have to go through it do mic check mic check one two one two nope not good not good and i get up getting mad and frustrated so today when i'm done i'm gonna take a picture of all the settings You're thinking, yeah, dude, you should have done that a long time ago. You're an idiot. I know. I know. I know. But I also feel like if I force myself to reset it every time, I'll actually learn how things work and I'll know what to do when things aren't right. This is the kind of things that I fight with myself about in my head. The good thing is I can't ever lose. I always win. When you argue with yourself, you always win. Okay, got some interesting stuff to touch on today. Um, A lot's been going on. Uh, some crazy person went and shot up a school for sending money to the Ukraine. Uh, people think that capitalism is bad. What else we got? A crypto update. I had a story about an angry brisket buyer. And it's all how you raise them. So let's just dive right into this. You know, I've talked before about my opinion on, on school shootings or mass shootings and whatnot. And I feel like we shouldn't even announce the person's name. I went into this last week or the last week that we had the the mass shooting of the guy at the dollar store or whatever. And I still feel like that, but whenever there's something that I feel like needs to be talked about, I'm going to talk about it. And so, you know, it's not worth... What What really bothers me is that when the media, they they keep pushing it and keep pushing it, and they, they want to know where the bullets came from, and they want to know what his bedroom looked like, and they want to know what he ate for dinner last night, and they don't really want to know any of this. They just want to put it out there so you'll click on it so that the ratings go up. And the byproduct of this is the glamorization of people who shoot people up. 
and that's a bad thing. So I, I resist to participate in the gossip. I don't click on any of the headlines because really none of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter. The details of, of these types of things are completely irrelevant. They don't matter. It's just, it's just to satisfy your curiosity. And so the, you know, the less we can participate in that, the less we can talk about it at work and, oh man, I, I heard that this and I heard that that. That doesn't matter. All that matters is we have crazy people who think it's okay to go into places and shoot people. And that's the issue. What, what we don't talk about is the, the demographic of the, of the people who shoot people. And not that it matters. Some, some aspects of a demographic don't matter, but some do. And everyone loves to say, well, mass shooters, they're always white. It's always a white guy. It's always a white guy. But you won't hear people say, yep, but people walking down the street to get shot, they're, they're always black people. Now, does that mean I hate black people? No. Does that mean there's any prejudice? No. But if we're going to identify one problem and we're not scared to talk about their skin color, why is it that we are afraid to talk about another person's skin color? And, and you probably felt a little bit weird just when I said that. I hope you didn't. I hope by now that you're like, yeah, you know what? That's the truth. That's the truth. And the sooner that we can admit that there are differences in the types of people who shoot people, the sooner we can identify the problem and maybe the closer we'll be to resolving it. But the, the statistics are astounding of the people who get shot by people who live in the inner city compared to people who get shot when they're in a school. You, you, you're like eight times more likely to be shot just in a bad neighborhood in your house than you are in a school. You have a better chance of winning the lottery than, than being shot at school. Now, that doesn't mean we should ignore it. That doesn't mean we should, we should pretend like it doesn't happen. But it does mean that we, it shows that we're, we're not going after the low-hanging fruit. We're not identifying the, the types of problems that are easier to fix and stopping those first. Because the goal should be to, to decrease the total number of deaths. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what color the people's skin are who's getting killed. It doesn't matter what where they live. None of that stuff matters. The goal should be to stop people from killing people. But if we can say, "Hey, this type of situation, people get killed more frequently," then then that's what we should focus on. Take for example Chicago. In the year of 2020, take a guess how many kids under the age of 18 were shot. Now, granted, not all of these were killed, but these kids were shot under the age of 18. I'll give you a second. 350. 350 kids were shot, and that's in one city alone. Now, why is it that those don't get talked about? Is it just because the the shooter of these people was one guy, one gun, and so and one one victim, so we're not going to talk about it? It seems kind of odd to me. It seems weird that we just pretend like those things don't happen and then when someone gets shot in a school, or a group of kids get shot in the school all at the same time, the reaction is way bigger. Now, I understand that schools are supposed to be places that are safe, and neighborhoods don't necessarily fall in that category. There are neighborhoods that we all know are dangerous, but that doesn't mean that the kid's life is worth less when they get killed. That doesn't mean that the mother is less crushed when her child dies. I mean... There is nothing worse than I can imagine. I'm I'm not a parent, so don't you know? Don't sit here and say, "Yeah, well, your opinion doesn't matter because you're not a parent." Because it doesn't take a parent to understand the type of pain 
that someone will go through. Now, I can't say I know what the pain feels like, but I can say I can imagine how devastating it would have to be to get a phone call or show up on site and know that your little child who had a future ahead of them and the world by the tail, all that was ended. Like that, to me, it would be difficult to continue with life after that happened. And so I'm not minimizing that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take these things seriously, but I'm saying we should look at kids getting shot. We should look at people getting shot, and we should say, okay, let's identify these types of people that are getting killed, and let's figure out what we can do to stop it. And I'm, I'm not a person who thinks we should take guns away. You can sue me. You can call me a, a Nazi, a white nationalist. You can call me whatever you want to call me, and that's fine. And the reason that I don't think we should take guns away is because I think it's ineffective. It won't change things, right? Drugs are illegal. I can have cocaine in, in a matter of minutes probably if I wanted it. But so that just shows us right there that it's not the thing that's outlawed. That doesn't stop the, the movement, right? Right now in the U.S., there's like one gun per person or may, maybe more. I don't know by now. Maybe 1.2, 1.3 guns per person. So if you make them illegal to buy from the store, the price of them will go up on the black market. And then we'll start importing it from Mexico just like we do fentanyl. And so while people run around and they say, We have to do something. We have to do something. Why do we feel the need to beg someone to help us? Now, whether or not you agree or disagree with me about guns, if you if you think that we should have heavy regulation, let's just say that you think the government needs to step in and do something right away. And, you know, the worst thing is, is when someone says, We have to do something, but I don't know the answer, but we have to do something. Because to me, unless you have a solution, you don't have a problem. Don't don't have a problem without a suggested solution. So if you're a person who thinks that the government should do something right away, how long have you felt that way? Because I can tell you, these people say the same things every time. We have to do something. We have to do something. We have to do something. We have to try something, and nothing ever gets tried. Now, there's a group of people out there who say, no, nothing needs to get tried. And there's a group of people out there who say, we have to do something. So chances are you fall in one of those two groups or somewhere in between them. But for argument's sake, let's just say that, okay, we all expect the government to do something, okay? How long does this have to go on before we can admit they're not going to? They're not going to do anything. And in my opinion, this is typical of the government. They're worthless. They don't get things done when they need to. They get things done when it's convenient for them or it's time for re-election. Well, it just so happens that we're approaching re-election for the midterms, but that's not the point of this conversation. The point of this conversation is stop relying on them. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to protect you. Now, there's people out there who say, yeah, because they can't. In either way, that's, that's aside from this argument. This argument is, okay, we all agree the government should do something, but we look at history and we see these catastrophes happen over and over again. What's the solution? What's the fastest, easiest, most logical solution? And to me, it's give the ability to shoot back. Give the ability to the teachers and the people on campus that want guns, let them carry them. I've seen a couple YouTube videos pop up of, you know, teachers in certain schools in Texas showing that they're carrying guns. If I had a kid and my kid went to school and I had a choice between a classroom where a teacher had a gun and a teacher didn't have a gun, it would be a no-brainer. And I'm wondering how long it's going to take before people that say, We have to do something, 
finally say enough is enough. Get a gun and shoot back. Because what's the number way? What's the number one way to stop a bully? Punch him in the mouth. Stop him in his tracks. If teachers had guns and they shot these idiots the second they walked into a school or a post office or anywhere they're not supposed to be in there shooting people, if that was the norm, it would stop. The reason people go to places that it's a no-gun zone is because they can't get shot back. If everyone in a movie theater had a gun and shooters knew this, they wouldn't go into a movie theater because they would turn into a target before anyone would die, or, or maybe one or two people would die. So, I don't know. My, my stupid, simple-minded, smooth-brain, knuckle-dragging, red-bearded solution is to say, stop relying on the government. They're not going to fix anything for you. If they do fix something, they're going to piss off a lot of people who have lots of guns. So, that's probably not the best route. At some point, you have to do something and protect yourself and your community and your own kids in your own household. We, we've gotten to this point of relying on the federal government to wipe our asses for us. And that's because they do one little thing and then we continue to expect it. And then they do one little thing and then we continue to expect it. And you can predict how the rest of this goes, right? The economy goes down, the Fed turns on the money printer, bails out all the companies. The We get a little virus, the U.S. government shuts down every business and then gives them all money. And it just destroys our economy and the supply chains. But rest assured, now, every time something goes wrong, people sit in their nest with their mouths open like little baby birds waiting for things to get dropped into them. And if you go back to the 1800s and 1900s, or early 1900s, no one would even imagine that. And there's people out there thinking, well, it's a good thing that our government can help us. They should be able to help us. And that depends Do you want them to control you? Do you want them to have power? Because if you like that, if you like the idea of the government saying, here's where you can go, here's what you can do, here's which businesses you can open, you have to have a permit. If you like that idea, then sure. But what you give up is freedom, the freedom to make your own decisions, the freedom to make your own choices. The minute we rely on the government for tax dollars to protect our schools, the minute they can tell us how old someone can be in our state to buy cigarettes or smoke marijuana or drink alcohol. I use this example all the time. It's no different than when the parents buy a 16-year-old kid their first car. And now the parents get to make all the rules. They get to say, you got to have these grades, you got to do this, you can't stay out past this time, or we'll take your car away. And what is it? works. It works. And it trains these kids to behave a certain way. Now, these kids, they lose freedom when they do that. They say, you know what, I gotta do, I gotta be right, or they're gonna take it away. That's good for a kid. It's good to teach them those types of things. When you're a full grown adult, you should want the ability to make decisions. You should want the freedom to have choices. Because if you look at it on a big spectrum, and you have on one end complete anarchy, no government involvement, there's no laws, everyone runs out and does everything. On the other end of the spectrum, what do you have? You have prison. You have a place that's, you're in a jail cell, you wear these kinds of clothes, you get told what time to wake up, go to sleep, what you're going to eat, when you can go outside. You have everything controlled for you. Now, you're going to, somewhere in the middle is the best place to be. Now, I'm the kind of person who thinks closer towards the lawlessness is better than closer towards complete control living in a jail cell. And I understand that I may be a little bit outside the norm. 
But if we don't fight towards that spectrum or towards that side of the spectrum, if we're not constantly tugging to make sure we don't end up in jail cells, we will end up in jail cells. Not, I don't mean literally, but we'll end up living in an environment where we have no freedom and no choices and no decisions. And that's not what this country is about. This country is about choices and freedom. And that's the reason why our standard of living is so freaking good here. Because we have the ability to do what works for the individual. You know, there's, there's lots of people out there who say, Well, capitalism is so bad and it's unfair and it creates a wealth gap and we should be more like Norway. And capitalism only screws one kind of person. Capitalism screws the kind of person. You have to have a combination of two things. If you have one of these two things, you can still make it. You can get by. But if you're lazy and you're dumb... You're going to get screwed by capitalism. And that's that's why people say, well, capitalism isn't fair. Well, call it fair if you want to. But if you have a combination of those two, if you're one or the other, you can make it. If you're dumb and you work like hell, you'll make it. If you're really, really smart, but you don't like working too much, then you can decide exactly how much you want to work and exactly how much you want to laze around. And that's your decision. We have the ability for people to come to this country or live in this country and be workaholics, and work 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And we have the people who, who can just get by working 30 hours a week at Taco Bell. And that's great. It's great to have that. It's great to have cheap tacos and Rolls Royces. That's good. It's more choices. The more things between those two, the better off we are. I don't see how anyone could disagree with that. And even the places that are completely controlled by the government, and the government has attempted to provide people with all the basic necessities the the system still fails and they're still dangerous it'd be different if we lived in prison cells but everyone was completely safe i mean even in prison people die people beat each other up so it's not like just because you are told where to go and what to do and who to talk to that you're going to be safe because there's still bad people out there there will always be bad people and while I see the need for a police force to police a community and look for bad people doing bad things, enough is enough. And if you've had enough, then you have to take matters into your own hands. Because it's not like you can go hire out more police officers. You can elect officials and hopefully they'll do it. But we're talking about a one-year, two-, three-year process. So the fastest thing is to take matters into your own hands. And if you're not brave enough to do that, if you don't have the guts to go out there and say, you know what? Who all wants to guard the doors of this school? Then it's hard to bark orders to tell other people. I, I can't imagine being like, well, I need to be protected, but I'm not going to protect myself. So one of y'all, y'all need to protect me. That, that to me is a, is a mindset that's so far from my mentality and what I hope is reality, but that's what people do. We have to do something. We need something done. We need to do something. But no one does anything. So... Sort it out. Just even if you think they should be doing something, they're not going to. They won't. So do it yourself. It's that simple to me. Okay, I know. I'm ranting a little bit. The moral of the story is when people don't do things for you that you really want them to do that you think they should, either do it yourself or go on about your life. But sitting around and being triggered by events and only barking orders about things when something goes wrong Nothing's going to change. Nothing will change. It never has and it never will. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not going to talk about the shooting anymore. 
I don't, you know, we've we've done it. We've beat that horse, and that's it. Take matters into your own hands. Eventually, you're going to have to. Speaking of matters, <laughs> I saw a funny picture the other day. It was on the, the Instagrams, and it was a yard. And I guarantee you it was in Portland, Portland, Oregon, because I, I know the style of architecture there. And I saw this house, and I saw the signs in the yard, and I thought, that that's Portland. It's got to be. So they had a, a Black Lives Matter, an Asian Lives Matter, a LBGTQIA plus Lives Matter. All these lives, you know, you, you welcome. There's like 15 different signs in the yard. <laughs> One of the comments was, gee, it's almost like all lives matter, question mark, which I, it made me laugh. And it still does, because when, 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 when everything was all the black lives were mattering and people were saying, well, all lives matter, really. Those people were being told, shut up. We're not talking about all the people. We're talking about the black people. And then here we are putting signs in our front yards. Not only just we could just have one sign that just said, hey, all lives matter. But we don't. We've got we got to let everybody know that their life matters. To me, that's funny. It says a lot about people. It just you can tell a lot about someone from their bumper stickers and their signs in their front yard. And normally it's the same kind of people who have both. All right. For my next trick, I'm going to talk a little bit about a cryptocurrency update. Everybody who know me and if you've been listening long enough, you know, I'm a Bitcoin bull. I'm a huge fan of Bitcoin. I love cryptocurrency. I think it's a tool given to us that will help us decentralize power from the people who have acquired it um, and add no value to our lives and a bunch of cost and time and energy. So if you don't know, the crypto market's taken a big hit lately. No surprise to me. I kind of saw this coming, even though I was still buying Bitcoin all the way up and I'm buying it all the way down. It's called dollar cost averaging. So I set an amount that I'm going to buy every single day. And sometimes two or three days will go by and I won't I won't buy, but I'll get caught back up. And the reason that I do this is because it, it averages out the, the low and the high. In my opinion, I think Bitcoin will be worth about a million dollars each within the next 10-year window. Hopefully sooner. But so if you're buying at 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 60,000, 70,000, 80,000, 90,000, all the way up, It'll end up averaging out. It'll end up, you know, you'll average out somewhere between where you started and where you stopped. And that keeps you from having to deal with the volatility because it's it's heartbreaking to see, you know, let's just say you buy $5,000 and the price goes down by half. And you see it go to 2500 and you're like, oh, no. It's hard psychologically to convince yourself, okay, well, I still got to keep buying. I need to buy more. Because if you have faith in the fundamentals of whatever it is, the asset, the the stock, the real estate, whatever it is, then you keep buying and you buy more and the price goes down. And so when I think we're in what's called a bear market and the prices are suppressed, I'll kick up my buys to a little bit higher. Now, I still say, you know, if you can afford this much per month, divide it out by 30 and buy that much per day. So uh, Bitcoin has gone from a high of 69000 to about 30000 right now. I don't know where it's going to go. I've given up on trying to predict it in the short term. But there's no way that someone will convince me that there's no value in something that that makes the movement of money faster and easier than anything we've ever seen before. And even if nothing else happens, we still have something that you can send a billion dollars halfway around the world in 30 seconds for virtually free. So if you take that and you look at it, okay, what does it cost me to, to wire money 
from one bank to another? Well, it depends on how much it is. But let's just say that it's a $20, $30 wire transfer fee. Absolutely, there's no reason. No one can convince me that that's worth it, that that it cost me $30 to send $5,000 from my bank to the bank next door to it. And just if Bitcoin beats that, if you can send it around the world for free, then it's worth more than the than the dollars because they're not adding any value. The, the, the reason that you're paying that is to make sure the money can't be in two places at the same time. Well, there's a famous saying, it's Bitcoin fixes that because there's lots of problems that Bitcoin solves and this is just one of them. So I've kind of got a prediction on what I think is going to happen over the next 50 to 75 years. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, you and your stupid predictions. But here we go. Here's what I think is going to happen. So right now, we're in the situation where I think currencies are going to start crumbling. And I and I don't mean like, I don't mean we're going to go back to using like pebbles for currency. But I think that as time goes on, people are going to see that currencies that are tied to countries are going to start coming going down in value because the U.S. can only stay a dominant force for so long. And currently, the U.S. dollar is the world currency. It's what everyone uses. So when people need to make transactions, they switch over to the U.S. dollar. And pretty soon, I think people are going to start seeing... Be- because of the state of the U.S. economy, and this is a big, this is a big macroeconomic explanation that I'm not going to go too far into. But if people see that the U.S. is starting to have troubles, they will say, "Man, the dollar's not—it's not worth as much. It—it it could go down in value. I don't—I don't trust it. I don't trust. I don't want to buy debt because what a lot of people do is they'll buy a bond from the U.S. government, and basically what that is is the government saying, "You give us, let's just say, hundred thousand dollars. You give us hundred thousand dollars." You, you take this note every month, we're going to pay you a percent interest on that money that, that you loaned us. And then at the end, we're going to give you your $1,000 back. And so people say, well, the U.S. government, they're good for it. I know they're going to pay me back, so I'm willing to loan them money for a low interest rate. And as uncertainty gets higher and higher, people will require a higher interest rate on their money. So it's cost the U.S. more money in order to borrow money. So their debt service goes up. They have to spend more to borrow money. And since there's a perceived risk there, the person that loans the money wants more money in return. And so I think over time, the the U.S. economy is going to start sinking a little bit. People are going to look around. They're going to say, man, I'm not sure if I should buy dollars. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty. Maybe I'll buy the Chinese yuan. Maybe I'll invest my money over here. Maybe I'll buy stocks, whatever. And so I think what you'll see is the deglobalization. You'll see that coupled with uh, people saying, you know, it really wasn't a good idea to have China make all of our stuff. And it wasn't a good idea to have them make all of our medicine because then they're controlling it. When their economy collapses, our economy collapses. And so we saw a big boom in globalization. We saw uh, a big a surge in like Hey, China, you make this. Mexico, you make that. We'll all just ship it across the water. It's cheap. Diesel's cheap. Fuel's cheap. Shipping's cheap. And so as things go on, we're figuring out, okay, wait a minute. Maybe we were a little bit too far into that. Maybe we put too much faith in these other countries, and now we're kind of in a bind. So let's bring it all kind of back in-house. And so I think you'll see this deglobalization where countries start managing things in-house. And that means that the price of those things are going to go up, right? Because... If we could produce things in the U.S. just as cheap as China could produce them, why would we pay to ship it over here? We would just have them made here. So there's going to be an increase in prices, 
which means that you lower people's standard of living. And this is this is we're talking 50, 75, maybe 100 year play out here. So don't don't get all scary. But so you'll see a, a deglobalization where people bring it back in house. Currencies start to collapse. There's more instability and unstable. There's more instability in the geopolitical spectrum. Uh, countries are going to be invaded. I think China will probably invade Taiwan. And so there's going to be all these things that kind of shake up the world. Countries will bring everything in house. And then cryptocurrencies are going to emerge. And I think, you know, after that point, when people start adopting cryptocurrency and we see the value in it, and we see, okay, here's what happens to countries whenever they manipulate their currency. Whenever they say how much money gets created and how much money gets put in the economy and how much money gets taken out of the economy. So we don't want that anymore. We want some kind of currency that's not manipulated by anything other than supply and demand of the people who are buying it and selling it. And I know it's kind of weird to think of currency being bought and sold, but just just bear with me. People are going to say they don't want the instability of someone controlling the money. It needs to be decentralized. And once that happens, then I think we'll go to hyper-globalization. And so I don't know. I, I just think that we're going to have a big like reckoning and then we'll all come back together, and then we'll say, okay, we're going to go back to globalization. We all use the same money now. We're all kind of playing by the same rules. And so let's go back to China. You make the cheap stuff and kind of reassess. And that's to me, is probably a 7,500-year play out. So I'll never see it happen. I'll never know. Hopefully this stays on the interwebs, and you know somebody plays this and tells a story about, yeah, this guy – he had this big like computer set up and he would sit there and talk in this big microphone and he predicted all this stuff. And his name was Brandon Harper, but we call him Nostradamus too. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of. I'm kind of kidding. But I do think it's important for us to speculate about the future. I think it's a, it's a good thing and it's also fun, in my opinion. It's, it's harmless, you know? Worst case, we're, we're wrong. That's it. Okay, uh, next topic. I, <laughs> my note is... Angry brisket buyer dude. I uh, often answer the phone at the brewery because obviously we don't have like a secretary. Do people still have secretaries anymore? I think they call them like administrative assistants. But I answer the phone. Ring. New Aces Brewing Company. Yeah. Um. I'm shopping around for brisket. How how much how much of y'all how much of y'all brisket? And I go, Hey uh, man, if you're if you're shopping for brisket, we're probably not the guys for you. We don't. Our brisket is not the cheapest. I said I, I think it's some of the best, but it's it's definitely not the cheapest. Well, uh, I need two pounds of it. I need to get two pounds. Well, how much is it? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're shopping around for two pounds of brisket. I don't want. I don't want your money. I don't want your service. I don't want. I don't want you. I don't want you to give me your money because I'll never be able to meet your expectations. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking for two pounds. Uh, it's uh, twenty eight. Twenty-eight dollars a pound. Oh, you know what? That's just ridiculous. You know, I was a butcher. I know what meat costs. I know meats come down, and y'all are taking advantage of everybody. It's you at every barbecue place in town. I can hear him getting madder and madder as he was talking. I just sit there and I let him go. I let him go, and I said, "Okay, no worries. Talk to you later." <laughs> Hung up, and I kind of sat there for a second. I thought, you know, this guy has been misled. He probably. Doesn't understand commodities. He's probably never owned his own business. He doesn't understand that most small businesses are three weeks away from going broke. So I picked up the phone and I called him back. And it's, I know, you're saying that's typical. Typical Brandon. So I pick up the phone and I call him back. And I said, hey, listen, this is Brandon at Oasis Brewing. I can sense some frustration in your voice. 
and I know I know you're upset, but I'd like to second to talk to you. And he was caught off guard. Um, okay, go go ahead, go ahead. And I go, look, you know, you, you mentioned the price of meat coming back down, but there's certain things that have not come down. And surely you, you don't think that meat's the only cost of barbecue. You know, there's the foil, there's the salt and pepper, there's the labor, there's the wood, there's the aluminum foil pans that they go in. So there's all kinds of things that go into the cost of brisket. And believe me, dude, I'd love nothing more than to be able to lower my prices. But I can't because there's a chance they may go back up. And well, you, oh, you just raise them again. And I go, but see the problem when you raise them and you lower them and you raise them and you lower them, people only remember about when you raise them. People only see when they go up. And then then you get accused of raising your prices all the time. Uh, and I, I tried to explain to him nice. I said, look, look, look. You know, this is not something to be mad about. You have to understand that we're not trying to gouge anyone. We're a barbecue restaurant. We operate on like 8% profit margins, you know? So if we lower our price, we're going to lose money. And then we go out of business. And this is what I talked about with the oil industry. You know, people don't understand the way things work, right? I mean, barbecue is basically a commodity. You could get barbecue over here. and Maybe this guy's a little bit better, but there's lots of places to choose from. So we're all competing. We want people to come buy our products, but there's only so much we're willing to sell it for because whenever it gets below that, it's not worth it. We would just sit back and wait and say, you know what? I can't get what I need for it. I'm not willing to go through all the hassle and all the headaches and all the complaints and all the bitching and whining and moaning and anger that people get about their stupid food for 4% of my money. That means that that means that I spend a dollar. I sweat, I clean, I pay taxes, I do everything, and then I get a dollar four back. You know, and sometimes you gotta wait 30 or 60 days for that money to turn around, for your inventory to turn over, for your labor to turn over. And so at some point you say it's not worth it, right? You definitely wouldn't operate at a loss. You most certainly wouldn't say, Well, I'm gonna put in a dollar, but I'm gonna get ninety-nine cents back. Anyone who does that, they don't last long. They end up going away. So you have to figure out how much am I willing to accept. And the notion that people or that barbecue places have enough power to control the prices, right? There's Almost anyone can open a barbecue place. It's not like pharmaceutical companies where we can just charge whatever and you can't go get it. Anyone can cook brisket. And so I tried to explain it to this guy, <laughs> and his response told me all I needed to know. Well, you know what? This is America, and I can voice my opinion. <laughs> I just chuckled. I, did, I, I didn't mean to. I was like, oh, okay. So so really, you just wanted to voice your opinion. I said, do you, do you feel better now? And he just hung up on me. Click. <laughs> and I just laughed. I don't care. I, I do not. If the world was filled with those people, I, I would close the business and go away. It's not worth it. I, I'm not willing to deal with those people to make a living. I can find other things to do. I can pay off my debt that I borrowed to start this brewery doing other things. It's not the end of the world. And so I just, I know those people don't know what to think about me, but sometimes I don't either. But listen, I promise you out there in podcast land, if, if you're not from America, we have this thing called brisket. <laughs> it takes 18 hours to cook it. And so we have to charge a lot of money for it because not only does it take 18 hours to cook it, but it shrinks in size by 50% with 
when you cook it. So it's expensive. It's a cheap piece of meat to begin with, but by the time you get done with all the labor, it's expensive. And none of us are making any real money. You know, I heard from someone that a big barbecue chain, I'm not going to name who they are, but a big chain, um, they were denied to uh, to a food service. A food service company denied them. They went to them and they said, hey, you know, we buy thousands and thousands of briskets per week. We would like to buy them from you. And this food service company said, no, no, we're not willing to do it because they, did, they had trouble paying their bills. So the largest barbecue companies are still struggling, you know. So if there's anything you could take away from that, it's that we barbecue guys don't hardly make any money as it is. And if you hear people talking about price gouging, number one, high five the price gougers because people should be price gouging. If I could get away with it, I would. If I could charge $55 for a pound of brisket and everyone would buy it, you better believe I'd do it. But I can't. And no one is entitled to brisket. And that is all I'm going to say about the angry brisket buyer. I just, I wonder how it ended up. I think, I don't know. I hope he tried to cook it himself and he ruined it. He made it bad. And then he thought to himself, ha, huh, I'm only buying two pounds. I should have just bought it from someone <laughs> or, or boughten. It, I, bought, people making up the word boughten is hilarious to me. I've been noticing that lately. I saw someone type it the other day in an email. B-O-U-G-H-T-E-N. Boughten. Newsflash. Not a word. Another thing I thought about the other day is pibbles and how everyone says, you know, a pit bull will, will bite someone's face off or, and, you know, not necessarily pit bulls, but this frequently happens with pit bulls is that it'll bite some child's face off and there'll be some comment warrior on Facebook who rescues pit bulls and says, it's all how you raise them, which is false and a lie and untrue. But for whatever reason, with dogs, they say, it's all how you raise them. But they don't say that about kids. And in reality, it is 100% that with kids and not necessarily with dogs. And let me tell you what I mean. If you are familiar with a breed like a Border Collie or a, or a Malinois, you'll understand that these guys, these types of dogs, act totally different than like a Labrador or a Golden Retriever. And... The, the herding dogs, like the German Shepherd, the Border Collie, the Malinois, these guys, they have very active brains. They need to be doing things. They need to be stimulated. Um, they're very dedicated. You know, I always say don't let a piece of kibble get underneath your couch because if you have a Malinois, they'll destroy your couch trying to get one little piece of dog kibble. And that's not a lie. They, they will really, they will just keep going. They'll destroy their claws on their own paws to try to get a little piece of food. And so, on the other hand, you've got, like, a Labrador who are, like, the sweetest dogs, and they love to play fetch, and they always just want to do the right thing, and they're not concerned about, you know, fetching something at all costs and running through a fence, and that's just not part of their nature. So they're very, very different and by genetic design. It's, it's good that they're different because the, the Malinois did one thing and the, the Labrador did another, and they had their purpose. So we bred them to be that way. Now, throughout their life, you can influence that. You can, you can throttle back that that aspect of their personality, for lack of a better word, or you can kick it up a notch and you can build their drive and you can make them crazier. There's all kinds of things you can do to change that behavior, but you can't ever get rid of it. It's always in there. You can maybe put some control on it, but you can't, you can't make a dog forget about what its genes tell it to do. And so when a, when a pit bull rips off a kid's face, it's not because they were raised improperly. Now they may be in, 
they, they may be like unsocialized or socialized improperly, but a lot of it has to do with their genetics. But with kids, now, this is my opinion because there's someone out there saying right now, you don't have kids and you're a dog trainer and you don't even know what you're talking about. But in my opinion, with kids, I feel like you can take a kid with a certain set of DNA and you could put them in a certain environment. And that kid will turn out totally different between two different environments. I don't think kids are born with an innate desire to play a sport or to study math. And I think people are kids are gifted in certain areas, but it takes someone to foster that and build it and work with it and cu- cultivate it. And I just think that with kids, that's how you raise them. With dogs, there's a lot of genetics in there. And I understand that you're going to say, well, you know, you, you can't just take a stupid kid and make him smart. Look, I get it. But you you can when it comes to behavior. You can you can change the way they behave and the way they speak and the way they inter- interact with people. So there's a lot more influence in kids. I don't know what the breakdown is. I don't know what the percentage is. But with kids, when they go and they shoot places up, no one sits back and says it's all how you raise them. But when a dog goes and bites a kid's face off, People are so quick to say, it's all how you raise them. And I can't, for the life of me, figure out why or when we don't, we do or don't tell people, raise your kids right. If everyone raised your kids right, people wouldn't be going to places and shooting places up. And there's someone saying, well, some people are just crazy and they have mental health issues. Nothing you can do about it. I know. I know. There's always outliers. There's always outliers. But if we just focused on raising kids right, if we dedicate our energy into like teaching kids right from wrong and and basic things that it takes to be a functioning member of society, I don't think we would have lots of the problems that we have. And that's it. There, there's, a, there's always a solution that if you start from day one, you can, you can solve problems. It's very difficult to solve problems in motion. But if you start from day one, a lot of these problems, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, you don't have to agree with me, you don't have to hate me, but a lot of these problems can be solved at home, solved by the parents. Two parents in a household with a kid is far more likely for the kid to turn out better than zero or one parent. And that is a statistic that, that is not an opinion. We can't argue about it. And another thing, and then I'm going to go. I'm going to close out. I have a quick, a quick comment. If people think that, the, that humans are causing the oceans to rise, how did the city of Atlantis get underwater like a few hundred thousand years ago or whatever it was we don't even know how old it was but we know that we have cities underwater and presumably they've been there since before climate change these are the kinds of things you're not allowed to ask you're just being told to trust the science and any scientist will tell you that for a science experiment to be valid you've got to have a control and you got to have a variable you've got to have Something you can you can alter the inputs and something you don't alter the inputs. And then you compare the outputs of those two events. And they say trust the science about lots of things, especially when it comes to the math. You know, just trust the science. Just trust the science, they say. But there's no science. There's no science studying a massive virus outbreak in a country. We don't have a control. We don't have a variable. We can't look and see. And people will say, oh, well, we had, there's studies, you know, there's a 1,000 people and 500 of them wore a mask and 500 of them didn't. And, and that's, that's anecdotal. 
Okay, so if we're going to trust the science, we've got to have a control and a variable. But when it fits a narrative like the mask and climate change, well, 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 well we're not worried about that anymore. We're just going to, you know, that, that we're not, when we say science and we're talking about those things, we don't, the, the, all bets are off. We don't, we don't really need science. We're just going to trust the scientists. That's, that's what it needs to be. I'm going to make a shirt that says trust the scientists with a big capital S on the end. Because they're not, it's not science we're talking about here. It's not. People want control. People want to be in charge. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's all I'm going to say about trusting the science and control and variable experiments. And with that, I'll end this episode. I'm going to go out and I'm going to play with my dogs. I'm going to cook some dinner. I'm going to relax. I'm going to get up. I'm going fishing tomorrow. I hope I catch some fish because I really like catching fish. I don't necessarily like fishing without catching fish. Although I'm excited to be on the water. I haven't been out on the water in a long time. And it's something I really, really enjoy. So I hope everyone has a great Memorial Day Monday tomorrow. Take some time and think about people that have died in war. That's what it's all about. You know, people that have, have willing to risk their lives to go fight. And that's crazy. There's not many people out there that are willing to do that. You know, are you willing to risk your life to go be shipped overseas with a gun in your hand and traipsing around the mud and the swamp, hoping that you make it out? No, you're not. You're probably not. Those guys are heroes, and we should remember them. And the least we can do is have a day for them without selling mattresses. <laughs> I appreciate you listening to Life in Paradise podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. Believe it or not, we went an entire episode without Joe Biden or Kamala Harris remarks. <laughs> it's a miracle. Go out there, have a great Memorial Day, cook some barbecue, learn how to use wood to cook, don't set the place on fire, don't drink too much, but enjoy some beer and give a cheers to a fallen veteran. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Keep it tranquilo.